It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 92. Oh, snap! I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt. And with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have... Paul Gann. You're despicable. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny, because we were doing Looney Tunes right before we started recording. How's it going, Paul? <laughs> I'm not going to say better than I deserve. <laughs> say it's one of those weeks. No, but only because it has been. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. We are getting this episode out later than we want to due to the Thanksgiving holiday and uh, you know stuff that happened around that here in the United States. So this episode will be coming out uh, late, but... Uh, we want to make sure we get it out for you. You'll probably get two episodes this week or within the space of a week as we catch up with tonight's episode, because tonight is when the episode The Witchfinders premieres. But we are not here to talk about The Witchfinders at all. We are here to talk about Kablam! So let me give you the details and we'll jump right into our spoiler free review. was originally released on November 18, 2018. It was written by Pete McTighe. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. It's M-C-T-I-G-H-E. Directed by Jennifer Parrott. And the synopsis is as follows. When the 13th Doctor finds a mysterious call for help packaged with a delivery from the galaxy's largest retailer, she and her friends get to work in finding out the cause of the distress. However, is the human 10% of the workforce rebelling against the robots? Or is there a much more complicated plot going on? So, Paul, initial spoiler-free reaction to Kerblam. For me, it had a almost a throwback kind of feel to it, just a little bit. I got this undertone that I got from uh, when we watched Revelation of the Daleks. Okay. And, and what I mean by that is uh, you get this scenario where you know, you have everything that looks just like this normal workplace on the surface, but then you have all this mysterious stuff going on underneath and you don't know exactly what's happening. And it becomes this mystery that almost doesn't feel like a mystery, if that makes sense. 
And now Revelation of the Daleks was the sixth Doctor Dalek story, right? The one that correct. The you one with and the, I were the one with the DJ. Yes, the the one that you and I ended up being a little bit less than impressed with. Honestly, though, the, I think the biggest reason why we were less impressed with it is because it took so long for the Doctor to actually interact with anybody in the story. Yes, that's true. Because we had so much going on outside of the Doctor's view, and it took like three out of six episodes for the Doctor to even get there. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, there were too many side plots in that one. But I, I do remember thinking, though, that if they had consolidated it and made it so that everything was more compacted, that we would have liked it more. Now, having said that, I think this kind of takes that similar scenario and does it the right way. And what I mean by that is you have the doctor coming in to that environment straight off the bat. And so you don't have all of that dallying around and feeling like that you're just, you know, kind of, uh, running around in circles, waiting for the doctor to get there. Right. Uh, but it kind of had that undertone for me that, that Revelation of the Daleks had. It also felt a little bit like Satellite 5. Ah, yes. Good old Satellite <laughs> 5. <laughs> so you, I, for me, it was almost like they took those two story arcs and kind of blended them together and gave them a totally new twist, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. A little bit, yes. I think so. <laughs> I like this episode. Um, I like the fact that we get to see the space Amazon of Doctor Who. Spamazon. Spamazon. There we go. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should have called the episode. I mean, let's be honest. That's what it is. It was interesting. Um, and I liked it. And there was, you know, there's there's the towards the end um, as to who's really, you know, the bad guy in all this. And I didn't see that coming, but I'm not sure they earned that. But we'll get into that later. Overall, I really enjoyed it. It was an intriguing episode. It was like there was there was a puzzle to solve. It wasn't like a mystery per se, but it was like a puzzle. Right. And we kept getting one more piece at a time. And that, it was that crucial piece just didn't find until the very end, obviously. But uh, I liked it. And I, and I wouldn't mind uh, more episodes like this. Well, I always like it when Doctor Who gives us a little bit of a mystery to solve. Yeah. Um, Oh, and then, of course, they, they gave us another innocuous everyday object to be afraid of in this episode. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Who's really good at that. Yes. <laughs> they are. Oh. <laughs> so do you want to go ahead and get into our spoiler zone? I think we should. Cue uh, <laughs> Ripper! Spoilers. All right. You have now entered. The spoiler zone. <laughs> Don't do that. All right. So we, I just find the way that we start this episode amusing because the doctor is trying to run away through the time vortex from a teleport pod, you know, a teleport pulse. Cause they don't know what it is at first. And so she keeps trying to run away from it. So after the doctor realizes what's chasing them, she stops and into the TARDIS console, you know, materializes this Kerblam man, uh, who's a robot, and he's delivering a package for her. And, of course, he, he's very uh, proper and everything and plays the Kerblam, you know, two-tone music <laughs> as, as he leaves after delivering the package. A successful transaction, of course. Um, and the doctor talks about how she hasn't ordered anything 
at least not recently. So she must have ordered it a while ago. So she's not even sure what it is anymore. Uh, she opens the package, and of course, inside the package, we have a fez, which means... <laughs> it was a really I, I long think, time I, ago. <laughs> yeah. I think Smith probably ordered it after um, River blew up his first fez. Um, what, what did you think of this whole scenario? I thought it was cute. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't the greatest thing in the world, but it was cute, and so I gave it a pass. <laughs> She's like, oh, Fez, what do you think? Still me. <laughs> and I'm like, not so much, but, uh, you know, she wears it for the rest of the well, scene it, pretty much. It kind of feels like when she put that on, it almost felt like a comparison as if um, Five had put on Four's hat. You know what I'm saying? Right. It, yeah, it, it, right. it was like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen um, Time and the Ronnie when Sylvester McCoy takes over as the doctor and he's trying to find his new outfit? I've seen it, but I don't remember it. He tries on about four of the previous doctor's outfits. <laughs> um, he tries Tom Baker's red hat and or red hat, coat and scarf. Uh, which is just enormous on him. <laughs> uh, he tries out the John Pertwee look, and he, you know, with the uh, frilly sleeves and, you know, uh, necktie, and he goes, eh, not frilled, you know. <laughs> and it's just weird watching him try and go through all these different costumes. I'll guarantee you that Sylvester McCoy requested to have that put in the scene. <laughs> oh, probably. Probably. Oh. Uh, when he when he when he comes out in the fourth doctor outfit, he takes the he peeks out from underneath the hat, which is like over his <laughs> eyes. And he goes, eh, "Old hat." Um, so, <laughs> oh, uh, I still yeah. I so, still think, and I don't know that that I believe this that is exactly the same hat as far as the actual production prop, but I believe story wise, I believe that the that the fifth doctor wore the first doctor's hat. Ah, it's possible. <laughs> um, although he made it work. Yes. So. <laughs> that being said, uh, inside the package is the packing slip. And on the back of the packing slip is printed the words, help me. Um, yeah. So the doctor and team TARDIS decide that they have to go and find out who needs help and to help them. Because, duh, that's what the doctor does, right? <laughs> um, Actually, though, it was it was Graham that kind of prodded her a little bit, you know, because he was like, hey, never hurts to look, does it, Doc? And gives her this look, right. you know? <laughs> never hurts to check it out, does it, Doc? <laughs> right. And that's when she goes and spins the hourglass. And, <laughs> and the TARDIS changes course when she's... That that was interesting to me when she spun that hourglass and the TARDIS changed directions as soon as she hit that hourglass. It almost was like a, a, a telepathic navigational change almost, you know, because she didn't have to punch well, anything in or, you know, change any of the coordinates or anything like that. You know, I, yeah, I don't know. We're still figuring out the controls. Um, <laughs> so the TARDIS goes to the moon of Kandoka, uh, where the main office of Kerblam is. Uh, which the entire moon is is the uh, the main office. It was a green moon. 
<laughs> I don't know what there's a joke there and I'm not the, getting the it. The green moon of indoor, man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> not I'm not It's another green moon. It's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> it's got a forest on it. <laughs> well, there was a forested area for their leisure hour. Um <laughs> What did you think of Kerblam? We're doing a review here. We're not doing a recap. So, what what did you think of Kerblam uh, as as a as a setup as a how we started to find out the uh, different production areas? Because the Doctor talks their talks her way and the the companion's way into getting hired essentially, and they get split up into different departments. What did you think of Kerblam as a whole and the, you know, some of the different departments we saw? When we got into the story, I almost wanted this to be a movie. You know, I almost wanted it to have that that extra, you know, 30 minutes of time or whatever to tell the story because um, I wanted there to be even more of it. You know what I mean? Um, okay. Because I, I like a really good mystery and I like it when they can draw the mystery out and give you more and more and more pieces to solve this puzzle with. And I'm not saying that it was lacking in any way, but it was almost, it left me wanting more because of the mysterious aspects of it. You know what I mean? Uh, even though this mm. was a, a slightly extended time frame uh, over last series, um, episode wise, it just, it, it kind of felt like that, they, they, it, that there was room there for them to expand on this even more and feed you more and more pieces into this mystery. So it kind of it kind of felt like I'm not saying it felt rushed, but it kind of felt like um, that that I just wanted more of the story, if that makes sense. Okay, gotcha. Um, so the Doctor, uh, Yaz, Ryan, and uh, Graham gets split up. Graham gets sent down to maintenance, which is essentially janitorial. Um, <laughs> Yaz gets sent out to the warehouse um, where they they collect the items to be shipped okay. out. Hold on. Huh. What made it so funny that Graham got sent to janitorial is the fact that the doctor traded places with him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because that meant the doctor was going to get sent to janitorial. <laughs> And I've got a thought about that, but I want to save it towards the end. And then uh, the doctor and Ryan are, are sent to uh, packing, where, where they, you know, take the items, pack them up, and uh, send them down to dispatch. Um, and we meet some people. Um, Yasmin meets Dan, Dan Cooper, uh, in the warehouse. The doctor and Ryan meet Kira, uh, who's uh, been there for a while. And then, of course... Uh, Graham meets Charlie down in maintenance. Okay. I'm just going to stop right here and say this. Okay. Huh. How crazy is it that we're going like to a completely different galaxy and we still are meeting people named Dan and Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> this must not be as far in the future as, um, <laughs> As the adventure with the Pating was. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's when it's, avocado is considered a good human name. It's enough of a stretch that we would go to a galaxy far, far away and meet somebody named Luke. Okay, mm -hmm. so <laughs> I'm just saying for us to get this many common Earth names in a completely separate galaxy, it just it this has to be an Earth colony. It has to be. 
you know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Kandoka is an Earth colony. I think they mentioned that at one point, actually, very briefly. Um, <laughs> I just felt like that was kind of funny and interesting, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we also meet Judy Maddox, who's head of people, um, and uh, Jarvis Slade, who's uh, – I forget what his job is exactly um, – it is. He's the CEO, the, the right? warehouse exec. Yeah, the warehouse executive for uh, Kerblam. So, and he was kind of yeah. weird. He was he, weird. He what, what did, he almost looked robotic himself. You know what I'm saying? A little I bit. I mean, he, he did. He, he did. almost felt plastic. Almost, you know. <laughs> I know. I, I I was. You're you're not the only one to think that. I at one point I thought he looked a bit robotic, and I was like, oh my gosh. He's going to secretly be one of the robots, you know. It's going to be another episode be of Scooby Who. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it. Um, oh. But what, what did you think of the employees that we met here at Kablam? Did you have a favorite? Well, well, uh, Kira was my favorite, but um, that was more because of the innocence that she portrayed, you know. Um she just she had this almost childlike innocence that she that she put off, you know, and yeah. that kind of uh, reminded me of uh, my own kids, you know, and I I just kind of mm. felt for that character a little bit, you know, especially when she was saying that she'd gone her entire life and she was probably, I don't know, 20 or whatever and had only gotten one gift in her entire life. And I'm going, oh, man, that's so horrible. You know what I mean? Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you feel for that. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. Yeah. That, and the only other gift mm. that she got was like her her birthday. Uh, Judy, head of people, had sent her something as a thank uh, you. Like a box of chocolates or something. Yeah. And that was the only gift that she'd received. In her life. Yeah, that's, oh, mm, that's just, I I yeah. don't know how to feel about that, man. I mean, because we take that kind of stuff for granted, you know, because uh, we Especially just. upcoming this time we, of year. Even, you know, even if it's just a tiny gift, we, we, you know, we're so used to giving one another, you know, little tiny gifts and stuff. Even if it's like a, you know, a two or three or four or five dollar gift, you know, we're just kind of take that stuff for granted. And to hear somebody say, I've never gotten a gift in my entire life. You're going, Oh, that's just so sad. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so through the course of their interactions with the Kerblam, uh, employees, the doctor and the TARDIS team, uh, discover that there have been disappearances. People have just suddenly stopped being there. Yeah. And, of course, the doctor decides that they have to report this immediately and get answers immediately from Judy, head of people, and Jarva, the uh, warehouse executive. Um, we jumped ahead. We didn't, we, didn't, jump we didn't talk about what happened to Dan. Oh, true. Yes. Of course, all of this is, is uh, jump-started for them when someone that they were interacting with, Dan... Uh, who was in the warehouse with Gaz, disappears. He gets taken. Okay. Did that creep you out at all? Uh, yes, incredibly. <laughs> like, giant warehouse, dimly lit area, uh, glowing-eyed robots showing up, and all of a sudden, Yaz can't find him. We hear him scream, and there's his scanner and his necklace that his daughter made him. Right. 
that he loves dearly um, is all that's left. Now, and here's the thing, too. I, I don't know how I, I know Jason's not a big horror movie fan, but, you know, I'm I'm a horror movie buff. And when I, when that robot was just standing there stiffly, not moving, just staring, I got this Michael Myers vibe off of him <laughs> because Michael Myers just stand there, stands there and stares at his prey, you know, <laughs> until the moment that he decides that he's going to take them out. And so it was very much that, okay, the more you stand there and don't move, the more my skin crawls kind of thing, you know. <laughs> Let's not go there. And, and here's the worst part about it. They had really, like, friendly faces and stuff. I mean, they had colorful C-3PO eyes. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) They did. They were blue. They were nice and friendly. And, well, Um, either blue or purple. But, you know, they they changed back and forth. I think it's depending on what what, uh, rank they had or whatever. But What what job they had, yeah. Yeah. But, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you're looking at this thing's face and it has this friendly-looking face. Until it's not friendly looking anymore, you know, <laughs> and I'm going, right. yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. When we end up back in Jarva's office and the doctor and the TARDIS team are making their case to Jarva and Judy, um, did you trust either of the Kerblam employees there? I trusted her more than I trusted him. Because mm-hmm. I felt like just from his body language and stuff, he was not hiding the fact very well that he knew something, you know? Right. And she was more of a mystery to me. She was more of an enigma because she kind of, she her body language and, and her facial expressions and things like that kind of felt like that she wanted to hide something. But she didn't come off clearly as to whether or not she actually knew something or not, if that makes sense. Um, and mm-hmm. what I mean by that is going back and watching it again, I think that you would notice that the reason why she comes off like she knows something is not because she actually knows something as much as it's the fact that she's afraid she's going to get in trouble for not knowing something. At, at first, I couldn't get a good read on Judy. Because she reminded me a little bit of, I forget the character's name, but the lady in charge of the Spoonheads in the episode The Bells of St. John with Eleven and Clara, um, where the internet comes for people. Um, and they're <laughs> storing them at the the the, uh, the hub there. Um, oh, you remember, you mean the, uh, the, the, uh, the Great Intelligence episode? Yes, yes, that one. She she reminded me a little bit of the the lady who was Miss Kislet. There we go. Uh, she reminded me a little bit of Miss Kislet, and I was like, I don't know if if she's secret, you know, if if we're being sort of duped uh, to trust her because she seemed so nice and everything, mm-hmm. nice and sugary sweet, and that she cared for all of the ten percent uh, human you know employees at Kerblam. Um, but I was trying to figure out if that was a a mask that she was putting on. She was more like Miss Kislet or not. So you were trying to figure out if she was sugary sweet or if she was saccharine. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I didn't know what to do with her for a while. 
um, until she kept jumping in with the doctor and, and helping out, you know, after they go back and start digging into the files in uh, Slade's office. I think because she does care so much, which we do find out later that she does care for people so much. You know, I think mm-hmm. because she does care so much that she was more concerned about the fact that she didn't know something and was kind of worried about there being a problem or, be, or her having some trouble because she didn't know something. And I think that was the body language that she was actually portraying in the office where if you didn't know that, if you didn't have that knowledge at that point, you could also think that she was trying to hide something, if that makes sense. Right. Yes. So, and of course, uh, Jarvis Slade just oozes suspicion. Um <laughs> And so you automatically jump to the idea that he's the bad guy, uh, especially because he's the CEO, essentially, the, not the CEO, the, the warehouse executive. Um, so it, it's you start suspecting him immediately. Um, and then we, we end up having to go to Kerblam 1.0 to well, try and figure out what's going wrong. It, it doesn't help that over the years, over the decades, actually, Doctor Who has kind of been known to portray the higher ranking business officials in these stories as sleazeballs. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) We we had one of those already this season, you know? Um, So, uh, but we end up having to go to Kerblam 1.0. What's his name? Twirly? Is that the robot? Yes. The delivery robot? Yes. Yes, Twirly. Um, And... The doctor needs to know what the updates have been in order to find out where they went wrong. And so they enlist the help of Twirly. Um, we also find out that Charlie, uh, Charlie knows his way around the place a lot. And so he's helping out the doctor and Graham getting all their information they need about the warehouse. And it's very painfully obvious that he has a crush on Kira as well. Which yeah, was a really adorable. Scene. <laughs> that was that was definitely no secret at all. <laughs> the two no. of them, the two of them, almost literally melted in front of each other. I mean, it was <laughs> it was too. It was yes. so sweet that it was almost pathetic. You know what I'm saying? It was like, right? <laughs> it was like, dude, just kiss her already. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because. <laughs> Hold her hand at least, you know. Work, workplace fraternization might get him in trouble, though. So. <laughs> They're in different departments, so maybe not. Um, and, and then, of course, I, I love I love the scene where Graham asks Charlie about it, and Charlie's all automatically like, "What? Who told you? What? How did you? How do you know?" And Graham's like. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> you know? oh. oh, man. Yeah. Graham is great in this what, episode. I love Graham. What do you think about it when Graham told uh, told Ryan, he's like, reminds me of you when you were younger. And when I say younger, I mean last month. <laughs> 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 I I almost wonder if that la- the last part of that line was an ad lib. Um, <laughs> I almost on wonder Bradley if, Walsh's part. Yeah, I almost wonder if the last part of that line was him talking about him and Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely possible. Of course, uh, 
Ryan is not overly impressed uh, with with that uh, comparison. Oh well, shall we say? <laughs> he might have taken a step back with the whole father, with the whole grandfather and grandson thing at that point. <laughs> oh. I don't know, though. Grandfathers say that kind of stuff a lot. <laughs> um, uh, they're at that age where they don't care. They just say whatever pops into their head, you know. <laughs> right, right. And, and Ryan wasn't, you know, like, <laughs> angry or anything. He was just like, ah, uh, you know. It's, it's what a young guy does. Here, here we go with another dad joke. <laughs> right, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, I've been telling a lot more of those lately. <laughs> Good for uh. you. Um, <laughs> all right. So with the help of Twirly, we find out that it's the system, the Kerblam system that asked the doctor for help. Yeah, that was that was what kind of of started turning the entire story on its head. Right. Um, because, you know, we're used to, in these types of scenarios in Doctor Who, the system going rogue. Right. The system going bad. Or someone warping the system to go bad. Right. And that didn't happen this time. The system was the one going rogue in order to call for help. Only because it was provoked to do so. Exactly. Um, so, and here's the Doctor thing. and everyone... Here's the thing that I found interesting because I did get a chance to go back and watch this a second time. Um, the second time going through there, the same time that you're discovering that the system is what called out for help, you're watching this back and forth, almost like a Return of the Jedi ending sequence where you're going back and forth from the planet to the to the ships, the planet to the ships, to the Death Star, you know, almost one of those kind of things. You're watching, they're finding out that the, the, that the system asks for help. And you're watching the system fighting against keeping Ryan, Charlie, and Yasmin from getting to their destination by trying to use different methods to protect itself from the three of yeah. them. You know, from 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 biological contamination, as it was saying. And you, yeah. you don't understand the reason why that's happening until you get to the pivotal moment where you suddenly realize, hmm... The instigator is one of these three. Yes. Well, and, and of course, <laughs> simultaneously with that, the uh, Kerblam bots have escorted Kira down to mm -hmm. uh, present her with an employee of the day gift. Right. So all three of these things is happening or, or all three of these things are happening at the same time. And you kind of see it jumping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's it's like it's piecing the puzzle together with these three different events all happening at the same time. Yeah. I love the way they did that. I, I really did. Because as it's happening, you're going, oh, I see what you're doing there. Oh, I see what you're doing there. Oh, now it's making sense. You know, because I'll be perfectly honest, this was not one of those episodes where I had it predicted on the beginning of what was going on. <laughs> Yo, there was nothing telling me this is the culprit, you know? <laughs> the Doctor, Graham, Judy, Slade, they all end up 
down underneath the foundation where they find essentially an army of Kablam bots um, waiting to be activated, waiting to be sent out for delivery. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't this the area where Dan was not supposed to go? No, no. Uh, the area where Dan was not supposed to go was where people were disappearing from. I thought um, that they were connected, but maybe I'm wrong. It was close to the area, uh, but it wasn't the same area, no. Okay. Because um, this was kind of outside of the warehouse area. The doctor is deciding, is, is trying to figure out what this this army is there for, how they're going to be used, what what <laughs> what is it that makes them an army. Um, because all of them have packages, but all the packages have something different in them. Well, wait. There is one thing that is the same in every package. Bubble wrap. Yep. And the bubble wrap <laughs> is determined to be explosive. Explosive! Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, Ryan, Yaz, and Charlie, who have been who've been trying to rescue Kira, find her, but they are unable to get to her. And she has been given a Kerblam package, and the only thing inside it is a small sheet of bubble wrap. Yeah. And what does she do? The same thing everybody does with bubble wrap. She goes <laughs> and pops a bubble. Yeah, that is the majority, the vast majority of the public is going to have a compulsion to automatically do that. Uh, I have been working on myself not to do that because I work around that stuff every day. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I might have been the only survivor. <laughs> I have no such restraint when it comes to bubble wrap. Um, I am known to sit with a sheet of bubble wrap until every single last bubble is popped. Um, so Jason would be dead. Uh, yes. Much like Kira was. That It looked like there, that there was a chemical in there that reacted with the air when it popped. And that's what caused the explosion. Yeah. Something. I don't know. But she did. Yeah. It almost looked like that it completely disintegrated her, like she just completely ceased to exist, you know? Right. Right. So, I mean, it was it was almost like that it left no corpse, you know, probably a, a little bit of ash and that was it, you know? But um, they're, they're watching Kira through this window and she pulls out the bubble wrap and Charlie starts to freak out. Yeah. Um, before it explodes. Before Yaz and Ryan know what's going on. He busted himself out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you get where I went, what I did there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bit. Um, so, Yasmin, Ryan, and Charlie join the rest of the group, and all the pieces are finally put together. Um, Charlie is actually... Uh, let me back up. Kerblam is almost entirely fully automated, but there is a 10% organic, uh, you know, component to the employee uh, list here, um, because that is mandated by law that they have to hire at least, yeah, every company has to hire, have at least 10% of its staff is human or, or, or you know, organic, not automated, um, because automation is cheaper, um, let's be honest. Uh, and there's been a big deal made about this. Well, Charlie is part of a fanatical group that is trying to fight against the automation. 
and trying to fight for the rights of people to work. And so in order to, you know, fight for this cause, he has been developing this explosive bubble wrap and has been sequestering uh, away bit by bit delivery robots for months now and holding back deliveries until he is able to send out one mass delivery with this explosive bubble wrap causing mass panic and causing people to lose faith in automation in order to let more humans be hired to work again. Um, it was a interesting twist and it worked on some respect. My only thing is I don't know if they earned that twist because of the way they were portraying Charlie throughout the episode. The only time, and I've only seen the episode once, so maybe on a repeat viewing, I'm, this might change. Um, the only time I saw anything different out of Charlie other than the, you know, the, the sweet, innocent kid, uh, who's worked there maybe just a little too long, um, was when Kira was about to be blown up. So you've watched this more than I have. Did he give any tells that you can remember earlier on? Not really, no. Um, okay. and the thing about that is though. His cause is noble. His execution of that cause is not. Right. And so the, imp the impression that I got from the character was that deep down, he had a good heart, but he was so desperate to do something yeah. noble that he chose the wrong method to do it and did something villainous when he was really trying to do something noble. Do you see what I'm saying? It's it's yeah. a similar thing, I think, to what we were looking at in uh, our previous episode, in that uh, with Manish thinking that he was trying to be noble, but not realizing that he was a tyrant. Right. Yeah. And we have Charlie fighting for noble cause, but turning into a fanatic. Right. And and I think that I think that it, well let's put it this way um, just trying to kind of parallel it with something in real world events it it's like someone uh, going out and murdering uh, an, a, a doctor from an abortion clinic you know what I'm saying it's like they feel like that they are following their their cause and trying to do something that they feel is noble but they're doing something villainous they're actually making society worse do you see what i'm saying whether you believe yeah. in what their cause is or not they believe they're doing something noble and so in their mind and in their heart they think they're doing something noble but they're actually doing something villainous do you see what i'm saying right and so yeah it that it, there's just paralleling it with with something from the real world you know um it, it i mean because i don't know you couldn't really parallel it with with uh like someone who was being bullied in school or something like that, because that's desperation. That's not somebody trying to do something noble. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of really the only thing that I know how to parallel it to would be something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, and this whole thing kind of made me sad because I really like Charlie and now he's this, you know, desperate kid who's trying to make a difference in the only way he thinks will actually work. 
Um, and it's turned him into a, a, a villain, a criminal. And, and it's, you know, just very, very sad. Um, and he begins the launch process. Oh, I do have to take issue with something the doctor said, though. Um, when, when they find out, when she finds out what happened to Kira, and she essentially tells Charlie that, no, this is the system's way of showing you how everyone else will feel if you succeed in this. I'm like, no, this is the system fighting back fire with fire. Right. Like, the system is not innocent here. Right. Um, I, 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 I did take a little bit of issue with, with what, with what the doctor said there. I'm like, no, no, no. The system is, is a, it is, is a, a logical thinking machine. It is going to, you know, it is discovered that there's someone who means something to Charlie. And since it's not sure if the doctor has, uh, figured out and is able to stop this thing in time, it's going to do what it can to try and preserve itself. You could actually compare this to Skynet from the Terminator movies because Skynet was trying to preserve itself in thinking it was, it, it was thinking, okay, the humans are about to dismantle me. So I need to preserve myself. And so that's the same thing that was happening with the system here. The system was like, okay, if this goes through, I'm going to be dismantled and I will no longer exist. I need to preserve myself. It was mm -hmm. a self-preservation tactic more so than a, uh, a, a, a moment of consciousness uh, for good. You know what I'm saying? Or a moment right. of conscious. Right. Conscience. I'm sorry. A moment of conscience. Yeah. And so the same thing, you had the same scenario with Skynet. Skynet fires off all these missiles, kills half the human race, and then takes over the world with robots. <laughs> It's it's basically it's not quite on the same level as what Skynet did, but it's no. the same motivation, you know. Yeah. Uh, it the, yeah. the doctor says that the <laughs> that the system had a conscience, and Charlie doesn't, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm that's too far. Um, so I don't think that Charlie didn't have a conscience. I think that Charlie just wasn't thinking outside of what little bit of focus he had in front of his view. You know what I'm saying? I think that he wasn't thinking about the outside ramifications of what it was going to do to these other people. I think he was thinking of, well, I can sacrifice these people for the betterment of society as a whole, you know, and that doesn't make it good either. No, no. Taking a life so, to save a life is still not right. You know, no. not not in itself. The The only way that that can be considered okay is if it is in the moment of defending your own life. Yeah. So. Well, Charlie starts up the, the robot sequence where they're about to be teleported out. The doctor manages to find some way to uh, stop that by having them teleport and deliver right back to where they're standing. And then has the delivery be to the robots themselves. So they open it up take out the bubble wrap and do what everyone does with bubble wrap. <laughs> and of course, Charlie is trying to run off from the rest of the group by, you know, going through the robots and he gets caught up in, in what's going on. Even though Graham is trying to reach out and save him, which I thought was noble on Graham's part. Um, but Charlie ends up dying in the explosion. 
Well, I mean, even the doctor tells him, this is your last chance. Come on, let's, you know, come with us. And he just stands there and stares at him like, are you really doing this? And I'm thinking, dude, what's your problem? Run, you know? And he's just standing there with this befuddled look on his face, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> kills me. Yeah. I know. I know. Because I like, I like Charlie, you know, up until the last <laughs> Five minutes of the movie. Up until we found out yeah, that Charlie was that, blowing but... people up. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, that's that's not a nice thing to do. Um, even on a Tuesday. No. <laughs> um, everything sort of gets wrapped up with a nice little bow um, at Kerblam with Judy and Jarvis Slade saying, oh, "We're going to cut back on some of the automation." And maybe, you know, an up the people quotient uh, by to to at least 50%, if not more, and have it be a people-run <laughs> company, not an automated company. Um, I think this is something that society in general is a little bit concerned about already, is yes. getting weeded out to the point to where we're no longer... Uh, relevant anymore because machines can do our jobs and i can see how that would be something that translated really really well into a story like this you know it, because i know yes. now my particular job at this moment might not be able to be done by a machine but wait until robotics gets to the point to where it was in this story and tell me that a robot couldn't do my job you know what i'm right. saying <laughs> yeah it, right it's a little unnerving you know uh, don't really like the idea of that. No, no, it's uh, it is a little bit unnerving, and so it, it talks about and it addresses an issue that we may have to face someday, which mm -hmm. is you know what is good about uh science fiction and stuff like that. Um, but then again, we're left with you know a couple of dead kids who had these most painfully adorable crushes on each other. Um, at the I end know, of it. right? Oh, so, dude, that's so sad. And they, <laughs> I know, and they, they head back to the TARDIS and take off, and we're left with this lingering shot on the glam box from earlier that was delivered earlier, and the bubble wrap sitting at the top of it, going, careful with that. <laughs> the thing about it is, though, that's the box from earlier, so you know that's the box the Fez came from, so you know... Yeah that Ryan's already popped at least one of those bubbles. So, you know, it's safe, but it just doesn't feel safe. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> right. Ryan's like, dude, that's, that's Kablam bubble wrap. You really want to pop that? You know, <laughs> the doctor's like, you really want to pop that? <laughs> uh, that was one of the things that that I threw out earlier for one of the for one of the titles to our episode was "Do you really want to pop that?" <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, so there you go. <laughs> um, that's Kerblam. Um, man, I I think it's time to uh, head to our our wrap up and and rating here. What should we uh, rate this episode on? Honestly, I really really enjoyed this episode. Um, like I said, I enjoyed it so much that I actually wanted more of it. Um, 
and and I I don't recall saying that about a great number of the episodes that we've talked about. Uh, I know I have on a, a couple of classic episodes felt that way, and uh, maybe. I'd say maybe one out of every series that we've had in the new show, I think I might have felt that way about. And I feel that way about this one. You know, I, I wish that we had gotten an extended cut of this uh, episode, you know. Uh, so I'm going to give it yeah. I'm going to give it a nine. Nine what? What are we grading this on? I'm, Kerblam men? I'm going to give it nine Kerblam men. <laughs> <laughs> Nine Kerblam men. Wow. <laughs> Paul's got got big big thoughts about this one. Um I liked it. There was I really did. I, I, good. That's awesome. I'm glad. Um there was one thing I, I forgot I wanted to mention, so I'll, I'll 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 go into my recap and rating with this. Um the system knew exactly who the doctor was. Mm-hmm. The system sorted the doctor to go into maintenance with yeah, Charlie. I noticed that. And the doctor thought she knew better and switched it up. Right. So originally Graham was supposed to be with uh, Ryan in packing. Right. And the doctor was supposed to be in maintenance with Charlie, where she might have been able to pick up on what was going on earlier. Not only that, she would have had full access to the entire facility. Yeah. 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 So this I is think, uh, this is one of those scenarios I think where the doctor thinking that she knew better backfired on her. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if perhaps if she had just gone along with the original sorting, <laughs> we might have Gryffindor! ended up with every right. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, sir. Slytherin. <laughs> Oh, uh, but if she had gone along with the original assignment, uh, we may have ended up without any more deaths. I'm thinking you're right. In this episode. I'm thinking that it was a plot by the system to put the doctor where she needed to be. Uh, I yeah. actually didn't pick up on that while I was watching the episode, but I did pick up on the fact that the doctor would have had full access to the facility had she just not interfered with that sorting process. Uh, But I didn't pick on, pick up on the fact that it was very likely something that was put in place by the system the way that you did. So, yeah, Uh, that only came to me uh, when the episode was over, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh. You know, I was thinking back and I was like on the episode, I was like, wow, that could have changed. It's very likely that even Dan would have not died. You know, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Dan might have still died. Um, he might have been the only one. We might have been able to save Kira and Charlie. Um, I'm, I'm thinking you're right, though. I'm thinking that if the doctor had had more interaction with Charlie, that she would probably have picked up on the fact that he had more knowledge about things like robotics and chemistry and things like that than what he was originally trying to portray to Graham. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, that being said, I, I liked this episode overall a lot. Um, I thought it was a fun episode, uh, you know, getting to peek behind the curtain of space Amazon, um, spam Amazon, spam Amazon, spam Amazon, um, spam Amazon. Yes. Uh, 
The only thing I'm still that still sticks in my craw is I'm not sure they earned the twist with Charlie uh, as the way it happened. Um, I, I felt like, you know, and again, maybe on repeated viewings that this will change my, I'll change my mind on this, but um, I thought there needed to be a little bit more of a, of a hint that Charlie wasn't what he's seen, you know, not, ne- not necessarily, not necessarily that he was, you know, doing something nefarious or anything, but something that he was more than just a maintenance person. Right. I think it would have been nice if we had gotten a glimpse at some point in the episode of him feeling like that he was either going to get discovered doing something or something like that. Not necessarily that he felt like he was doing wrong, but that he felt like that he didn't want someone to get in his way. Yeah. Um, so, and I think if we had gotten an extended cut of this, we would have probably seen that moment at some point. But you know, you you, you have a certain time frame you got to work with, right. and you got to make everything work. So, I, that's the only thing that still sticks in my craw about this episode. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and rate this. Uh, I'll round up uh, eight Kerblam men um, on Kerblam. So, boom. Goes boom, yeah. Boom, boom. goes the bubble wrap. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, later tonight, Paul and I will be uh, getting ready to sit down with the next episode of Doctor Who, which looks like it'll be dealing with witches and uh, old English kings. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> but you got anything else, Paul? Before we begin to wrap this up. Ah, oh, I'm really interested to see if there is a real aspect of magic in the episode that we're going to watch tonight. I, I'm I'm, happy. I'm interested in seeing if this is one of those Salem witch trials type scenarios, or if this will actually be something with real magic in it. Because uh, I think it would be really nice to see something with real magic in it in Doctor Who. I think that would be cool. Well, there you go. We will have to wait and see. <laughs> um... But that'll begin to wrap up our episode here. Please get in touch with us. Uh, let us know your thoughts on the episode. Um, kablam! Uh, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. Our Facebook group is also linked there. Uh, you can also tweet us at, at Talking Time Lord or email us at talkingtimelords at gmail.com. Our website, which is our hub of information, uh, with links to all of our previously released episodes and our social media is TalkingTimeLords.com. So check that out um, when you have the chance. That's about all I... Oh, and of course, uh, we are now on Spotify. So if you listen to your podcast or know people who listen to podcasts through Spotify, uh, share the word. Uh, We're now on Spotify, so check that out. And drop us a voicemail on our website if you go to visit. Yes, please. We do have a voicemail that we are saving for our uh, 12th Doctor review show uh once this season is done so uh but we would love to get some more thoughts from you folks uh so send us something uh if you have the chance and we'll play it here on the show that's about all i've got paul you got anything else or are you just waiting for your kablam delivery i'm waiting for my kablam delivery (laughs) (laughs) i will not pop the bubble wrap though (laughs) it's probably wise All right, well, that'll wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 92. Oh, snap! Crackle. Pop. <laughs> um, 
Thank you for listening, everybody. For Paul, I'm Jason. Remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream non-explosive dreams. Mm, that would be beneficial. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Amazon. Space Amazon. Spamazon. <laughs> oh, Spamazon. <laughs> How lovely. Never mind. We do not pop your bubble wrap. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Touche.